there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right. That's what she said. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, concerns about Tennessee's offensive line time, junior day time, almost spring preview time, whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, West Rucker, Ryan Callahan, Patrick Brown coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Thursday afternoon in Knoxville, a rainy Thursday afternoon in Knoxville. You know it's bad when you get that thing from your the weather app beeps on your phone and it says uh, rain will begin in 30 minutes and will stop in about 36 hours. That's depressing. We got like eight inches of rain in, in Knoxville. Yeah, it was in February. We got a lot driving back from Starkville and Grant Ramey and Mike Wilson. We we did like a little we did like a tag team where team 24/7 New Sentinel all went together. Because if you're going to go to Mississippi, you might as well share it with as many people as you can. It's a memorable experience. It is. It's lots of artificial catfish ponds and barbecue shacks and all kinds of interesting things. But so these guys, we drive all the way down there and split it, go all the way back. The first time I get behind the wheel, it's like the last hour of the trip. And it just the sky opens up and it's just filthy. Just like, you know, cats and dogs raining, living together. We're burning alive. Pandemonium. It's the worst Bill Murray impression ever. But that's what it was like. And now it's still raining. And whew, it's uh, not not good weather today. But, guys, uh, we've got almost, almost spring football to talk about. Less than three weeks. It's getting, it's getting there. It's getting close. I know everybody's focused on basketball right now, but it'll be here before you know it. Yeah, Pat's focusing on the, the Memphis Grizzlies. And they're tanking. Yes, uh, Wednesday night, a, a big, big loss to the NBA worst, former NBA worst Phoenix Suns. Grizzlies now, I believe, are tied with the uh, the Kings and the Magic with the fewest wins in the NBA. That's impressive. Playing for ping pong balls. Is there a number one pick? We in, will give DeAndre Ayton a lot more than $100,000. I would give him all the money he wants. Actually, the problem with this is that the Grizzlies draft history is deplorable if you go back and look at it. Uh, Hashim Thabit stands out as one of them. Xavier Henry was their last lottery pick. Wayne Baldwin was their lottery pick uh, just just outside the lottery pick a couple years ago. And two years later, he wasn't even on the team. Tennessee fan favorite, Wayne Baldwin. Yeah. Hey, no no Tennessee pro sports team has ever had a number one pick in the draft because the the Preds, even when they came in the league, only had the number two pick as the expansion the, team. The, uh, the Grizzlies almost did the LeBron draft. True story. Oh, I wasn't going to bring that up. True story. It still haunts me to this day. Oof. Young Grizzlies fan, Patrick. It was down to the, the Cavs and the Grizzlies back in 2003, I believe. Yep. And if the Grizzlies didn't get the number one pick, they didn't even get the pick for a trade for some dude named Otis Thorpe like five years earlier. Typical Grizzlies. Yeah, that's maybe one of the biggest <laughs> kicks to the coin pouch that's ever happened that in, was, in, in draft. That's like almost Patrick Ewing in the frozen ping pong. It, ball it, hurts, to this, it hurts to this day, but yeah, to see the, the Grizzlies logo pulled out of the envelope second, and you're just like, you're floored. You're just... And that was, you know, that was the Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, all those guys. 
Yuck. Detroit took the second pick and took Darko. That didn't work out, but... Who actually, who actually now runs a successful wine business? Isn't that what really? he is? He, he moved back home, and he's selling wine. That's what Darko Milicic is doing. Fun fact, you learn something new every time that you listen to the GoVoss 24-7 podcast. But, guys... Uh, Darko's Vino, is that the name of it? It should be. Should be. But, guys... As I'm looking at this, as you know what this sound means. Yeah, that means he's actually doing work. That means the itinerary, even though that wasn't the actual itinerary page, this is the actual itinerary page. That was probably like a receipt from a hotel. Uh, it's got spring practice preview with uh, two exclamation marks for offense, and then Trey Smith with like five exclamation marks. Yeah. For the so, record, for the record, Wes is a yellow legal pad kind of guy. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it, Does that surprise? Comment below. I mean, it was well. It got, it's got a nice hard back on it, which I like. The GoVols Twenty Four Seven Podcast Question of the Week: Would you have pegged Wes Rucker as a yellow legal pad guy? Well, actually, probably the fiance might, might have bought it, and anything that she can buy that comes in the color yellow is purchased. He, that's he, what, it's what our our house is a collection of the Home so, Depot boxes, which is my stuff still unpacked months later, so, and everything yellow, which is hers. So he's also a yellow legal pad guy, but not just that; he's a small. Spiral notebook guy. He's the mini spiral guy. Haven't I seen you the with stem, those? Yeah, the the little pads. Yeah, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the tiny ones. They so. fit in your fit. You fit in your back pocket. Yeah, it's nice. You wear blue jeans. They're right there in the back pocket. But uh, this is somewhat, actually, not somewhat. It's very serious news for Tennessee. The reports have come out. We've confirmed them. Uh, we've been hearing that for a little bit now that Trey Smith is going to be out. Here's here's the latest we have, guys. This is what we can report. He will miss at least a portion of spring practice while undergoing further evaluation for an undisclosed medical issue. That is the best that we have right now firmly on the record. Uh, If I'm being honest, I would anticipate that he will not be out there at all in the spring. And then beyond that, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, You know, we could sit there and spend an entire hour just speculating on what it might be. I'd rather not do that, but... Uh, suffice it to say, this is not a an ankle injury. It's not a knee injury. It's nothing like that. This is a uh, a more serious health issue, and there are multiple doctors and tests involved. And uh, I I'm not, I don't have to speak for everyone here because the the rest of y'all, except for Ramy, are here, and I'll speak for Ramy all I want because he sucks. But if you I, you just you never want to see this happen to anybody. But Trey Smith's just a good kid, and he's a kid who's got his head on straight. He's a kid who, you know, overcame some 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 family issues and some some tough times, and still uh, just ca- kind of kept right chugging along. And for a kid who was a five star, he was every he's every bit as good as the five star ranking. But he doesn't have that ego about him. He's a he's a team leader. He's mature, smart kid, and you just you just hate. It's just it's it's just not a good situation. It's it's not, and we and beyond we, football for Tennessee, it's just bad for Trace. Sure, and well, and we don't know what what will come of it. Maybe you know, hopefully, this is a situation where he just sits out most or all of the spring, and then he's back and, and good to go going into the summer. So let's let's hope it comes to that. And like you said, no need to speculate on anything because we we don't know anything, and and you, you got to respect his family's desire to deal with this privately, and uh, and and we'll see if and when something more is said about it. Basically, I'm sure Jeremy Pruitt will be asked about it sometime this spring. I'm sure he'll say next to nothing about it then as well. But uh, in the meantime, it's, you know, you got to look at it from a football perspective, obviously not knowing 
whether this is a serious long-term issue. And from, from Tennessee's perspective, this is just another blow to an offensive line that already was not going to have many guys out there at all this spring. Yeah, and you know you hate it for Trey because he's always been nothing but class in dealing with us. Uh, he's a guy that's got the respect of his, of his teammates, and he's a guy that, frankly, loves Tennessee. And, and the he, guy you see now is basically the guy he's been since he was 15. I've been talking to him for a long time, and he is – he has been that mature sounding basically since he was a sophomore in high school. He's really impressive. Yeah, I remember the first interview he did. I think it was last spring after he enrolled. Or it might have been before that, actually. I think they did. I think they had all the early guys uh, do a media, something or other, at, at Neyland. And I was I was really impressed. It was the first time I'd really talked to him up close and personal. I know, Ryan, you, you, you guys uh, dealt with him a lot in recruiting. But um, I, I was I was really impressed, and, and he's always he was always like that, and I mean, he's a guy that loves this program and loves Tennessee, and and want you know he he. I remember him talking after the Vanderbilt game too, where he's saying, you know, we're not gonna let this happen again. We're gonna get this back. Everybody's gonna be a leader, all that stuff. Yeah, and when he says it, like <laughs> you believe him because you're not gonna doubt him because he's bigger than you and he'll eat you. But <laughs> yeah, his team his teammates <laughs> tend to listen to him because uh, of the size. Yes, role. Like uh, he's because bigger. he will. You know, uh, he's just a large man, but he's also. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that when you get when he gets on the field, he's probably just a really kind of a mean dude. But when he's off the field, he's probably just as friendly and as nice as you can get. But he, and you hate it, you hate it for this for him because, I mean, he's two years away from making boatloads of money in the NFL because he's. I mean, I know Wes, you tweeted it, but there were some people that thought he could have come out this draft and been yep. drafted pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely would have. He he definitely if he could have come out this year, definitely would have been picked. So I mean, after, after so you're season. thinking two years of. You know, he he won all these awards last year, and Tennessee's offensive line was terrible. He, he, he still individually stood out enough to where the league's media, the league's coaches were like, he's all, all SEC, not just all SEC freshmen, but, you know, all SEC second team, freshman All-American, all that stuff. So uh, really, play with a really bright future, and you hate to, to see this happen if it's going to be long-term. Yeah, Hopefully and, it's not. And as an, as an offensive lineman, too, you can't – it's hard for an offensive lineman, especially a guard like Trey Smith was for a good portion of last season, to really stand out to the point that you just say, man, they will never get by without him because you're He's so just dependent. M- just manhandling. Yeah, you're so, you're so dependent on the guys around you to be good. But this is a guy who might, if you were giving, if you were power-ranking Tennessee's players on this roster, might be the best player on Tennessee's roster going into his sophomore year. I don't, He's I don't prob- think there's any doubt. He's yeah. the best player. He's the on number the one. I mean, the only guys who are even in the conversation are are a good bit behind him. Yeah. I mean, what, Jawan Jennings, Kirkland? Jawan Jennings, Kirkland. I mean, those Warrior. guys are good. Warrior. Warrior. The, the Warrior might be too, but, I mean, those guys are – are are really good players, but but they're not necess- They've not proven to this point what this guy has. Shy Tuttle, and, you could throw in that discussion, maybe. You know, th- there's a there's a term in uh, soccer called the team sheet. That's what they write down for the starting lineup every game. And they, when a guy's like the best player on the team, they say first on the team sheet. As in, when the coach is making a starting lineup, he writes that name down first, and then he fills in around that guy. And Trey Smith is first on the team sheet at Tennessee. He, he's the guy who you plug him in, you say, when you're looking at that offensive line, you go, okay, he's starting somewhere. Now where, what am I going to do with these other four spots? That, that, that's, that's what he means. I mean, there's a no doubt the first name that you're writing down is his. And you look at it now, when you look at Tennessee's roster, it's one of the most uh, you know, misleading things. And not, not that they're intentionally misleading. That's not what I'm saying. But you've got 13 offensive linemen listed on the active roster right now. And that is not really indicative of where this team is with depth because on there you've got Chance Hall mentioned and his situation is still in limbo. We don't know 
what's happening there necessarily. Uh, congratulations on his engagement, by the way. But we don't know what's happening with Chance Hall on the field. Uh, you look at um, obviously the, the Trey Smith situation. Niehaus also banged up, and you got a few, a couple walk-ons listed on there too. Hey, so you're looking Karen at what? Calvert. We're yeah. not sure he'll be out there this spring. He's had some complications. It sounds like coming off knee surgery back in the fall. Yeah, so. you're, you're talking seven, maybe eight scholarship guys. Out I think, there, I think, I think they're seven now, right? I think they're looking at seven, including and two of those are Carvin and Ali <laughs> yeah, Lane, guys who should be in high school. Um, so, I mean, so you're counting on true freshmen who just got here to maybe not only be in the two deep. If you have anybody banged up at all this spring, they have to start a guy like that. <laughs> essentially, if they were putting together a starting five today, I mean, that, that's where they are. So, and they get they get help from two more guys coming in this summer: Tanner Antonuti and Jameer Johnson. Those are both tackles. They'll need those guys. I mean, the, the reality is, even if you get one or two of those guys back, even if Trey Smith comes back you've got a couple more guys that you've got to count on in their first year for at least legitimate depth. You're right back where you were last year with Riley Locklear. Even if he hadn't been thrown in the starting lineup by the end of the year, he was key depth. That's where you are this year too with these newcomers. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of teams when they go on on the road, they travel about 10 SEC offensive linemen. Well, if you take Jeremy Pruitt out his word, and if you, they're going to have 11 offensive linemen for the year. And one of those guys is Anna Nudy, who I think is pretty obviously a guy that needs to redshirt. He's uh, he's up close to he was last time I talked with him was back in December I think and he said he was two seventy three at that time and he was hoping to be two eighty five by the time he enrolls so we'll see if he can get there but yeah still a guy that ideally would, would but need I mean a he's shirt. a guy that's he's just gonna need time yeah I mean he's gonna need time in a, in a college weight program and a college nutrition plan and all that stuff but mm-hmm. uh, I mean some people are are concerned about Trey's long term situation I don't know that anything's been determined yet yeah uh, so I, I think and, and too early to speculate yeah on that, yeah and, so. yeah and we're not going. We we should be like you said. We need to be but I think frank it, about this and say that we're not assuming anything right now. But if you're Tennessee, you need to treat it like you may not have him. Yes, that's how that's how coaching staffs usually operate anyway with guys. If a guy's hurt and they don't know how long he's going to be out, they're just their next man up. That's what they're thinking. That's how they think, and that's how Tennessee's. Frankly, that's how they're going to have to think whether they get Trey back or not. And obviously, the the most immediate concern, aside from Trey, you know, just getting Trey back. Period. The most immediate concern from a football perspective for Tennessee is just getting through the spring with what they have. But on top of that, I wonder how much this hurts Tennessee from just a. I mean, you, this the first spring under a new coach is always about instilling a mindset, a mentality, getting the culture where it needs to be. And we we talked about Trey Smith maybe not only being this team's best player, but. Tone setter. He, yeah, he might be a tone setter for the entire team and for an offensive line that's got to grow up in a hurry. How how big of a loss is it now not to have him out there conceivably for the entire spring and to have those guys learning from a new offensive line coach and not have that example of Trey Smith to kind of point to? Well, plus, plus, you also want to, you know, to go on to that. Sorry to cut you off, Wes. No, you're good. Uh, you want to be able to, if you want to have a football team that is blue-collar, physical, can beat you up in the trenches, wants to run the ball, you, and that's you, that's something you have to start like day one. Like that has to be your mindset from the first winter workout you have with your new coaching staff. Can it, can you do that in the spring with seven seven scholarship offensive linemen? I mean that's it's gonna be hard to do because you don't you don't want to kill these guys. I mean you don't want to risk more injuries. Now you can't you can't coach with kick gloves at this point, especially when you're trying to institute. Uh, and you don't want to be too hard and maybe one run one of these guys off in the spring. I mean that's something that you can't afford. So. And then on the other hand, you know, the defensive line, they're not going to get maybe as, as good uh, of reps against the ones as they, as they might get otherwise because they're not going to be going up against Trey Smith. They're not going to be going up against maybe some other first-team guys like Chance Hall who, yep. I mean, like Trey after his freshman year, Chance, I mean, you were thinking that guy could be an NFL tackle. He's going to be your starter at, at right tackle for the next two years at least. And then he's just been 
one thing after another, and it's just it's really unfortunate, and it's just bad luck that Tennessee's had, honestly. Well, you, you try to look at, you know, there's guys that you want to be able to to kind of to, to pencil in or pin into the lineup because also every day in practice, you know, especially when you're a new coach and you don't really know your guys that well, you want to know, you want to get a real barometer of where they are. And if you got a defensive lineman and you want to know where he is, we'll put him up against 73 and yeah. let him go for a while, and you'll get a pretty good idea where he is, what he needs to work on. Uh, whereas if he's playing against a guy who's just a league average guy at best, you know, you're, you're not – he might look all world, and he might be out there, you know, hitting Garantano every time he drops back or, or touching him every time he drops back in, in practice, and you're thinking, man, I got a, I got a beast here. And then the season starts, and, and he can't get into the backfield because he's not going against – a player of that caliber in practice. And there's also what I think is you mentioned the leadership thing. I think it's also a confidence thing because I remember, you know, going back to, I was a, I was a baseball player. We were lucky. Our high school team, we were fortunate. We had two guys who I think ended up being taken in the first five rounds of the draft. And every time those guys kind of went up to bat or every time, you know, you were like, okay, something special is going to happen here. It makes everybody, it, it, may, it brings the level of play of everyone up another level when you've got, that kind of natural alpha who's out there. You're trying to match awesome. him or be yeah. better than him. And, and, or, and he just makes you feel like I can beat the world if I have this guy on my team. Like, you know, with those couple guys in our lineup, it was like you make one mistake or even a decent pitch, they, they might be hitting that over the wall and we got a brand new ball game here. And that is what, you know, you bring one of them out of the bullpen and you go, well, here comes three strikeouts. And you just you just feel like when Trey Smith, when, you, when you're in the locker room or you're stepping off the bus and he's right there with you, you're going, okay. I can roll with this. Let's go. And if he's not out there, that certainly makes an impact on that. And and you look at what it does to the offensive line. I mean, I don't want to say I don't I don't love the word catastrophic, but if he's not out there, you're talking about a potentially catastrophic offensive line situation. Shambolic where, is the word that I like. Yeah, to use. where where you don't know going every drop back is my quarterback going to get killed? And that's not a, a knock on any of these guys, but the fact is the SEC is what it is. And you can't hide a bad offensive line against anybody. I mean, no, you can't. This isn't the even Pac-12, against Southern really. Miss last year. Tennessee, in, in the state of this offensive line was in, could not run on Southern Miss. Now Southern Miss is a decent group of five defense, but Tennessee could not push them around. Yeah, like in the Pac-12 or the Big Twelve, they had those leagues, and they're great leagues. But what you do is, if you have a bad offensive line, you do what Mike Leach does. You spread them apart where you can drive a Volkswagen in between them and you grow to a spread, and you play around that, and you can hide that offensive line. You don't have to be great there. On the SEC, what separates the SEC from every other league in the country, not even close, it's the defensive line. The athleticism, the size, you do not see that across the board in any other league at that consistent level. And if you're not good on the offensive line, you're going to get eaten alive every single week because every single week you're going to be playing against NFL draft picks on the D-line, doing all kinds of things. And it's not a good situation. And and what this also makes you wonder, and again, not to speculate about anything that goes beyond this spring, but it was already a need that Tennessee still was looking into addressing. And now you wonder, does this amp up the need for a graduate transfer offensive lineman 100%. to be brought in this year? I mean, that, they were still looking around for guys who maybe even could start right away. And now I think you really could use someone. If there's anyone out there, you've got quarterback to address too that they're still looking into. And we'll get into that in a minute, but Takeaway. Yeah, but the offense, but the offensive line. I mean, even if it's you know, sometimes this time of year there might be some 
junior college guys who were injured last year that are still out there in the spring or you know a high school guy that's that flew under the radar that you could bring in this summer that butch jones and his staff loved a blue shirt you know a guy mm-hmm. that was still still there after sign day if there's anyone like that available i think if you're tennessee you've got to kick the tires on all those guys just because of the sheer possibility of, of trey smith's availability even being in question kick yeah, every anyway. tire search under every rock and you may need to even look on your own roster and see if there's any defensive yeah. linemen, any big bodies over there that you can move over. I don't. We, you know, we were discussing before we started recording, and I've mentioned a few times on the board. I don't think there's an obvious candidate because no. you look at their defensive tackles, who is probably who you're going to move. You've got three seniors there, uh, and Shai Tuttle, who are going to go, who are going to go tell you to fly kite if you ask to move them. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got all the guys they're bringing in, which. You know, the staff has talked a lot about needing bigger guys up front defensively. Well, there's your big guys are potentially at least four 300-pound guys, maybe even more, depending on what Mincy and, and Garland do. I, I think – And then, you know, then that leaves Kevon Bennett, who I think you need to make sure that he's not – you know, his bloodlines make me think, let's at least give him a spring, if not more, yeah. as a defensive lineman to see. And then that leaves Eric Crosby, who may not be the right kind of a frame for offensive line. So he's like 5'9". There's not any good, like, obvious guys to move over. I mean, you can yeah. maybe move a Paul Bain. He's 6'5", 290. But he was born in the darkness. Thank you, Wes. <laughs> uh, he's a guy that maybe you need to move him over there just to have an extra body for spring. You know, I don't, I don't, there's not any obvious solutions. And they need grad transfers at, like, three or four different positions. And now I think offensive line might be the num- new number one on, on that wish list if they can find the right guy. I, I, think, I think it might have been number one even to begin with. Uh, the quarterback was right up there with it. It, it, was a, it was a tough call, I think, but offensive line remains the priority, I think, at this point. And then on, on top of that, I, I mean, I, I will say no one on the current roster strikes me as a natural fit, and I'm not at all going to start you know, rumors or something on somebody <laughs> moving over. But I will say there like is... John a, Gruden. Like, like John I just did, Gruden. Like, yeah. But there is one guy that is coming in that I could see possibly being a fit, and that would be Brant Lawless. Uh, that was a guy who yeah, earlier in his I high school that. career, some people wondered if he might end up growing into an offensive lineman. That didn't happen. But out of those six guys they signed, he's the one who's maybe got the most natural profile that you could kind of like a Jay Sean Robertson out of yeah. high school where he's got that two-way lineman look to him. I could see someone like that, but yeah. And even then you couldn't count on a guy like that to play day one. But the, so again, that's not a good situation. That's, I mean, I was just going through the list of the options and yeah, I, mean, I think he's, I think he's one of them. I mean, but, but you, know, you brought in some of those big guys to bolster your defensive line and, and, to, and to play a new system that you didn't yeah. have a lot of guys that fit in. So, exactly. so it's hard to move any of those and, guys. And, you know, if you want to look at your defensive tackle situation, you're losing three seniors this year. So you're yep. going to need those guys there next year. And do you want to count on freshmen to come in and play? That's a lot of questions the staff has to answer. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of, of who's playing offensive line, you know, that there are other questions for Tennessee as we've, have, as we've discussed, one of them is quarterback. They do need depth there. They do need, uh, you know they might need a new starter. Then we don't. We don't know. We don't know how Garantano's going to look in this system. We I'm don't sure know. the staff knows what they think. Yeah, of them. We, we don't. We don't. We don't know yet. But we do look at those numbers and say uh, they could use another. They could use another guy there. And one of those guys, Ryan, was on campus uh, very recently. Yeah, Keller Christ, uh, the former Stanford quarterback, and this is a this is a really interesting possibility because he, he's a. I mean, this is a really big time prospect coming out of high school who was Stanford's starter to open last season so this is not a this is not some guy who's just waited his turn and never gotten a chance and you know he was a starter in 2016 he was yeah Yeah. he started six games in 2016 seven games last year and just was replaced toward the end of the year 
uh, by by a pretty talented uh, young guy that's that's going to be their quarterback of the future now. So you've got a KJ Costello yep. is his name, and he's uh, Costello was his name. <laughs> and this and this is a guy from Palo Alto too. So he was like you know Stanford all the way coming out of high school basically. And you, you kind of wondered even when he chose to go the grad transfer route, you wondered if a West Coast option or somewhere closer to home would come open. And it sounded you know we we heard right away at least one report that kind of connected him to Tennessee. So I think whether he sought them out or whatever it was, I think there was, a, there was always kind of a, a possible fit there. And, and this is not a guy that, um, that Jeremy Pruitt was ever involved with out of high school, really, to my knowledge. But I think there was at least a little bit of a connection with Tyson Helton because Clay Helton did recruit him coming out of high school when he was at USC. So Clay Helton knew about him, obviously coached against him at, at USC and all that. So there's some familiarity there, but not, a, not an Fami- obvious... Familiarity. Yeah, but not an obvious... Familiarity. Not an obvious connection that where you thought, yeah, this is probably going to happen. But uh, that, that name was always out there. And then this visit comes together and, you know, it looks like Tennessee might be the only visit he's... It sounds like they're the only visit he's taken to this point. Might be the only visit he takes before making a decision. That doesn't mean there's not another option out there. Maybe there's someone that he's pretty familiar with that he could go to right away. But um, but as of right now, it looks like Tennessee is is probably in the driver's seat to land him. And if they if they get him, that becomes a really interesting quarterback battle because, like like we said, with it, we don't know what the staff thinks of Jarrett Garantano or Will McBride. Uh, it's hard to count on JT Shroud as a true freshman. He's not even going to be on campus until June either. Uh, Keller Christ would not arrive on campus until June if he enrolls. He he will graduate, I believe, in June because a lot of those West Coast schools are kind of on later academic calendars, and and I think their spring semester yeah, ends. Weirdos, hippies. So I think that uh, their academic calendar ends in June, if I'm not mistaken. But whatever the case, he'll be arri- arriving in June, and that 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 kind of compresses the schedule. He's got to make an impression quickly if he wants to start. But obviously, there's an opportunity with a new staff, and I, I think Tennessee would view him as a guy who's capable of coming in and starting. Six five two thirty four. I bet he can take a hit or he's two. He's a tank. He's a big kid. <laughs> can he, run a little bit too, yeah, right? A little bit. He's not a he's not a big runner, but enough that you wouldn't say he's a statue back there. And, and it seems to me, it kind of sounds like he was very interested at Tennessee, sort of from the outset. Like he yeah. maybe and doing some research and looking at potential places, said, hey, that's a place I can go in and at least win a job. Because if you're a grad transfer, you've got one year left, you're not going to go somewhere where you're going to sit the bench. We saw it with well, Wes's favorite grad transfer, Shaq Wiggins. Yeah. He, he, he hashtag saw, Wes was right. <laughs> hashtag Wes was right. Uh, I, I mean, Tennessee's quarterback situation was made for someone to come in and play a lot. Now, Shaq didn't start, but he played just, you know, he played, I wouldn't say it was an even split, but he played a lot behind Justin Martin and Emmanuel Mosley last year. So, if you're a grad transfer, if you're you're going to find some place where you, just about where you can start or you think you can start, and so he probably I think it sounds like he sort of identified Tennessee and had initial interest there. Tennessee didn't bring him in until maybe a month later or so. It sounds like if Tennessee wants him, it sounds like they'll get him. It's not, it sounds like it's, there's a real chance of that. You do wonder. I mean, he, this is a guy who's who's well connected. Um, his so his dad is the Denver Broncos tight ends coach, and his, his uncle his uncle is Paul Christ who is the head coach at Wisconsin. He's doing pretty well up there. So, you, I mean, you always wonder, is there another possibility out there that he wouldn't have to visit? Could he just slip to Wisconsin? I don't know what their quarterback situation is, really. They're probably in good shape, I would imagine. They had a pretty good year this past year. I mean, you wonder if something like that is out there. I don't think it is, but there's always a chance that you could end up somewhere that you don't even have to visit. But unless there's a connection there like that, yeah, Tennessee looks like they're in the driver's seat, and I think Tennessee feels pretty good about its chances right now, and it seems... Seems the Vols want him, especially with Gardner Minshew, the other graduate transfer quarterback they were looking at from East Carolina. Uh, now it looks like Alabama bounds, and that, that was kind of the expectation even last week when we reported that Tennessee had shown some serious interest in him. So with Keller Chris looking like the best option, with Tennessee really wanting a graduate transfer quarterback and with him being 
a, a pretty good fit for the system they want to run. Uh, I, I think he, he, you have to say that's a good possibility right now. And and let's not, you know, Alex Thompson was another guy, the guy from Wagner that they reportedly wanted to blue shirt. He signed with Marshall mm-hmm. on, on signing day, so he was he's been off the board. In case you're wondering what yep. happened to him, and and if you're if you're just looking at it on the surface, you're you're wondering why Minshew. I just talked about how grad transfers want to go where they can start. Well, why would he pick Alabama when they've got Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa? Well, he's got a, he's got a family situation yep. that I think that he wanted to be a little bit closer to home. And on top of that, it sounds like he's interested in being a football coach. And uh, I don't know that he thinks he can't play in the NFL. But he wants I, to work with Butch Jones is the real reason. That's not on the list. That's not on the yellow we legal gotta pad. Throw that in we got to talk about that. But I do – yeah, that is that – is Oh, it is on the yellow legal pad. My bad. That is an I interesting element of this, though, is that Gardner Minshew does, I think, have some interest in being a coach and might see some value in just playing at Alabama for a year, even if he never gets to take a snap in a game. And so that's – on top of his family situation, maybe that's part of it, too. But, yeah, it looks like – Tennessee even offered him a chance to come in mid-semester because Tennessee's second session of spring sem- uh, spring classes starts on well it started today um, that we're talking on March first and he could have enrolled this week and been there for the start of spring practice and even with that and a chance to start at Tennessee I think Alabama being closer to home and offering the chance to learn from that staff it just seemed like a better fit for him and, and his situation and as Wes can attest it's a long way from Knoxville to Mississippi it is. <laughs> Yes, it is, and uh, not a lot of elevation change when you reach a certain point of that drive. And uh, but there are a lot of artificial catfish ponds. The, those are, and by that I mean they they've designed like made a made a like a, their own lake. Not like that the catfish are fake catfish. That would be a waste of time. But <laughs> if don't eat the fake catfish. <laughs> yeah, let, let me tell you that's that's rule number that's rule number thirteen. Don't eat the fake catfish. But yeah, I, I mean it, it's. This team does need help, and I don't want to make it sound like it's a dire situation, but this team does mm, need some bodies. You're talking about a team that is that was 4-8 and eight and lost a few guys early to the NFL that it didn't necessarily want to lose. So and, and plus straight you, off the bat, you're looking at a tough situation. And plus you throw in, you know, Vinzel Bowler transfer. I know he decided that back in the fall. Uh, he's going to go to Miami. What a fool. <laughs> what I I got you you're gonna you you could he could have gone out there on one leg and started on this team it just makes no sense and then Dormney situation I I don't know this but it sort of seems like he made his his mind up that he was leaving probably back in the fall too I think so probably uh, as soon as he decided to undergo shoulder yep. shoulder surgery I think that's what he was thinking about his because if because if you have future there well if you have here if I guess, he doesn't leave I mean are you are you trying to get a grad transfer no I don't there? think no I way. don't think so and that that's the thing with with Dormady I think he had to look at it as I think his shoulder clearly was something that he felt needed to be addressed at some point and I think he thought okay I've got one year of, of one season of eligibility left, whether Maybe, I redshirt or yeah. not, I've got to get this fixed. I might as well get it fixed now and be ready to compete next year. And if that if that kicks me out of spring practice because I can't play, so be it, and I'll just go to a new spot. But it's a it's a tough situation because a lot of people wondered if he might be Tennessee's starter if he had hung around because he is such a good fit for the system and because he does have such a good arm. Yeah, I think that that there's a. Uh, there's a clear need there because y- you start putting two and two together and you think about that tough situation on the offensive line and you know you're just a couple hits away from being in a real bad spot but, and again if you're Tennessee even with the new coaching staff you have to imagine that this is Tennessee so Murphy's law is <laughs> in play at all times and you know you're going to be have, you're going to be playing Seth Washington at quarterback if you're not if you're not careful and no disrespect to that kid but 
hey, it is what it well, is. Uh, they've got their three scholarship quarterbacks, so you could get by. But I think what you want to avoid is this. This is the team with a we've talked already about it, and we'll talk plenty more about it leading up to the season. But this is the team with a razor thin margin for error. And you're talking about if you even if you're pretty confident in Jarrett Garantano as your starter, you you go from him to I think some unknowns because I'm not, I'm not sure what the staff thinks of Will McBride. I don't I don't know if they know for sure what they think of Garantano. Will the but, thrill will, will be a, will be a factor? But McBride, I, I th- I've always thought of him as more of a spread quarterback. So I'm I'm interested in seeing how he fits with this system. And then JT Shroud is a true freshman, so you might be talking about a pretty significant drop off to just in mm-hmm. terms of preparedness to play in this system even if Garantano was the guy. You, so to have a second option is, is as much as anything is the reason to add add another guy there and then also just to give some competition, right? Right now, I think most people assume Garantano is the no-question starter uh, as of today with Tennessee only having those three guys on scholarship. You throw in a guy like Keller Chris, suddenly the competition level goes up and you at least have a, a legitimate battle and a couple of pretty good options, I would say, going into the season. Yeah, and I think to echo what Ryan said, I mean, I think McBride, I don't, I think if you're looking at guys that maybe aren't, I don't want to say hurt, but are going to be toughest to fit into a new scheme of what Tennessee's going to do on both sides of the ball, I think McBride's probably near the top of that list. I think he's a running, I think he's a, a spread quarterback, a guy that has to be able to run a little bit. And, and certainly you can introduce some spread elements into your offense. But even watching these guys throw in practice, I, I thought Dormany and Garantano were on a different level than, than yeah. McBride. So. Well, that- well, that's the thing. I, for, for me, with McBride, it's not so much that he runs. It's that I think his game is more reliant on kind of getting out of the pocket a little bit and yeah. using his, his athleticism to set up runs. And that's not as much what this system will do. I, I do think it's interest, interesting, though, before everybody thinks Tennessee's going to be recruiting nothing but pocket passers, pay attention to who Tennessee is offering at quarterback. They've offered several guys who are pretty good athletes. I don't think this staff is going to be at all opposed to getting guys who can run at quarterback. It's just finding the right ones who can sit in the pocket and who are good throwers first and foremost. So we, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. What's a limit on, like, could Tennessee bring in three grad transfers if they find the right guys? Yeah, I don't, I don't and know. Are those, those numbers would count towards next year's class, right? Yeah. So that's, what else, that's well, something else you have to balance. So not entirely. Too. Because of the situation they've put themselves in to where they can, um, they can add guys, uh, or they've, they've got a couple guys in this class that are already kind of, uh, kind of earmarked as blue shirt candidates uh, because they have those guys in place it's it's our understanding they have at least one player um, that they can sign still in this class without having to count them ahead to the next year now beyond that we'll see but yeah you could bring in one more guy at least and sign him or, or just place him on scholarship and count him toward 2018 but then beyond that you might be counting them ahead to 2019 so yeah there is a there there is a tricky element to making the numbers work but I think the staff at least has room to add a couple more guys without getting too creative uh, depending on the timing of when you add them and all of that. So I think a grad transfer offensive lineman and a grad transfer quarterback is at least within the realm of possibility. Yeah, the, there's there's a lot of needs going on here. Uh, the, this team is, is in a situation where there's a lot of guys that are going to be new in a system, playing for a new coach in a new system, and, and they're going to be able to know each other. There's there's a lot of uncertainty here. And, and maybe the staff leaves spring practice feeling better than it anticipated, you know. I, I don't, I don't know that I would predict that, but I've been doing this long enough where I wouldn't rule it out. So, yeah, I mean, I they need to look at quarterbacks. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as important a need still as offensive line is because I think that's just the most obvious, incredible need that that you can see anywhere on the roster, really. About especially, you know, with that Trey Smith situation. But you know, uh, who who is responsible for the situation Tennessee's in? It's the guy that Alabama is 
just trying to add. Because when you're Alabama and you've won however many, what is it, 84 national championships they're claiming now at this point, when you've won that many national championships, won all of the national championships, what is left? There's no World Cup of college football. There, there's no – the only thing that you can do that you've they not have done not Alabama, won. they've not won a championship of life. And Who else – who could you bring in to help you win a championship of life? Lyle Allen Jones. Junior. Junior. <laughs> second. Yeah, so uh, reports have come out this week that uh, Alabama, which obviously is, is looking to uh, enhance its – status as already the premier program in college football, wants to throw Butch Jones potentially, potentially into the mix. Now, uh, this could be... YOLO is what it is. Yeah, I mean, he could be an unpaid analyst. He could just be sitting there in meetings for a year. And, and if you're Butch Jones, there's no way in the world better to perhaps fix your reputation other than, than go behind, you know, go go behind the seeds at Alabama for a year where you can't do any media interviews because they won't allow it. And you just got to sit there That's quietly... That's the best part quietly learn more about football, quietly sort of look at a new staff and the way it does things and just kind of get a different feel for, you know, just stay under the radar for a while and, and reset your image. And if you're him, it makes all the sense in the world. If you're Alabama, um, I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> struggling with what? <laughs> I don't know what you gain from this. Okay. All right, so okay, yeah. in, my, in my chat this week I was asked, Everyone's making fun. Everyone's having fun at this, but like, really, if you're Alabama, why would you? What would what would Butch Jones bring to the table as a coach that you could bring in? And I have two thoughts. One is his teams at Tennessee were always good on special teams, so he improved Tennessee special teams have by and part by and large a disaster under Derek Dooley and before. Yeah. So I think I think getting getting eleven on the field was was a success. (laughs) Ever since that Auburn game in 2013, that Butch always liked to point to where Auburn had so much more speed and it was glaring on special teams. I think they returned a kickoff and a punt for a touchdown and maybe almost returned another punt for a touchdown in that game. Uh, since then, Tennessee's special teams have been pretty solid. Now, a lot of that has to do with Trevor Daniel. And, and again, their field goal kicking left a lot to be desired. But special teams, coverage units, all that stuff, they were pretty good. My other theory... Returns, they were always good. My yeah. other theory is that if you're bringing him to be an offensive analyst, um, you've got two quarterbacks there at Alabama... And Hertz and Tagovailoa, who Tungavailoa, Tunga, whatever yeah. Tua. I'm gonna call him yeah. Tua from now on. Tua is a good idea. Um, and so they're not spread only quarterbacks, but they are guys that you can put some spread elements in. And obviously, Butch Jones, his spread offense did pretty well with a guy like Josh Jobs running it in 2016. Now it would have been better had they played Alvin Kamara more, uh, but that's besides the point. So maybe you get some some elements of that into your offense. Obviously, you, you have a new – who is their new offensive coordinator? Mike Loxley. Yeah. So that's the other point I was so, getting so to. So that, that, those are my two theories of if you're Alabama, why do you make this move? I think it's a low-risk move for both sides. So it doesn't – you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like if you hire with Jones, well, it might go bad. You never know. We'll find out if no. I'm everyone, not. I'm, everyone, I'm not saying thought, it goes bad. I'm just trying to say where where are you definitely everyone, getting better there? Everyone assumed that when Lane Kiffin was hired as Alabama's offensive coordinator, it was going to torpedo it because Lane has torpedoed just about everything he had touched at that point. Well, he didn't. Tor- well, maybe he did. <laughs> it depends on how you view <laughs> that playoff run where he was jettisoned yeah. in the middle of it, and they hired Sarkeesian and yeah. lost. But they didn't lose that championship game necessarily because of offense. They lost it because Deshaun Watson was amazing. But yes. Um, anyways, so, you know, I, I think it's a low, again, if you, if you're able to, you know, mix some spread stuff in there with two guys that can be spread quarterbacks. Now I think Tua especially he can play in any offense cause he can, he can chuck the rock around. Yes. Hurts. Not so much. I'm, I'm not all that enamored with him. 
my, my stance on that has been well documented among the four of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I'm going to make sure here that I'm trying not to, I'm not just trying to, like, make fun of the guy. I'm not trying to just joke around here. I'm, I'm just, I'm legitimately, no, no, seriously. I'm legitimately, I just, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's like when, uh, when you see, like, just an absolutely beautiful woman walking around town with, like, just this boyfriend, you're like, no, you could do better. Well, it's, it's that kind of feeling. I'm like, I don't. I'm like, what do you, what do you see? But it's there? like, they, I mean, it's just an, it's an analyst position. So yeah, like they're so, asking him to like run the offense. Right. So that's the, all right. So yeah, three thoughts on that. First of all, Patrick had a good point. I think on special teams, that is one area where Butch Jones. I, I don't know if you'd say it's an area of expertise, but he has a good track record in that area. So that's one thing he could help with. The other is you just promoted your wide receivers coach Mike Loxley to offensive coordinator, and you hired a new good wide receivers coach. I think in Paul Gaddis. That's uh, from uh, from Penn, Josh Gattis. Josh Gattis, I'm sorry, from Penn State. Um, so to to have a guy like that helping out with the wide receivers, even though Josh Gaddis is a proven receivers coach, just to make up for what you lost in Mike Loxley, maybe that's part of it too, because Butch Jones has that background with wide receivers, and as you mentioned, has a background with more of a spread system than Alabama's used to um, used to running in the past. So maybe they can put in that really good play call that they had from the Alabama game, the flea flicker, yeah. yeah. So the, they, maybe he maybe he was maybe he's the analyst flea flicker coordinator. I, I hope that. Uh, at some point next year, Tennessee runs a fleet flicker and it works just so I can be like, well, if, if Jeremy Pruitt's ability to turn around Tennessee's execution and flea flicker is yeah. any indication, Tennessee's going to win the national title in 2019. That's a flea flicker <laughs> special right there. Tyson Helton, the man. <laughs> if he can, if he can just take that little bit and do all the rest of the program, look out everybody. And, the, the explanation for that play will still go down as one of, it's one like, of those moments we're never going to forget. Like I, I was having to fight really, really hard from openly cackling at my seat during the press conference, sitting like seven, eight feet from him when he said this. I, I almost, it was almost like I have to get out of here or else I'm just going to explode from laughter. I'm just, if I, if, I can, if I can't laugh, I'm going to, I'm just going to explode, basically. That's what and, it kind of felt like. So the other thing, it's, it's a, and as, the quarterback. as we said, it's and a, the running backs. And the running backs. <laughs> But as we said, it's a it's a low risk move for Alabama. It's not it's not I don't think it's gonna be an unpaid position if it works out, but Alabama pays its analysts what, sixty thousand or something like that normally. So this is not a guy you Hey, he saves as, you sixty thousand dollars, Tennessee. Yeah, maybe maybe. We'll I mean we'll see what if it works out over the next three years. So if he gets yeah. another high paying job, I guess that's how it mitigates it. I I, th- I thought our Barton Simmons said it well when he said, you know, you maybe try to get some of that Nick Saban pixie dust sprinkled on you. Yeah, and it makes all the sense in the world for him. For Butch Jones, it makes perfect sense. You want to you want to take a job that's not going to entrench you somewhere next year when when head coaching jobs come available that you might be in play for I'm, he's hoping he doesn't go the less miles route where he's had his last chance to be a, a major head coach and that he gets another chance but obviously the hope i think would be to to sit out this one year get some get some uh some good vibes attached to your name again get people to forget about your time at tennessee and then come out next year with a new head coaching job somewhere and for Nick Saban, he's brought in former head coaches, former offensive coordinators, things like that, and rehab their images a little bit. And there's always some sort of input that you can get from a guy like this. Butch Jones is not an idiot. I mean, I, when it comes to football, Butch Jones knows a lot of what he's talking about. You don't get to nine and four by accident. We've all been critical of I, Butch Jones. I agree. So, and, oh, I, and he deserves that criticism. But yeah, but but he, yeah. but he did something that Tennessee's two previous head coaches didn't do. He won nine games in a season. So no, absolutely, I'm not. But yeah. I'm but I'm just saying I don't. I, I when I look at that machine that Alabama has sure, right now, sure. you just wonder. And even if it's just where a, are you improving here? Yeah, even if it's just a fresh set of eyes and a different set of ideas, there's another voice for the offensive room, if nothing else. I mean, it's somebody else to throw in there to say, hey, you have any different thoughts? And they may. 
dismiss every idea he has, but <laughs> think about the personality <laughs> Even if, difference there. Like, yeah, he and Saban are trying to like, you know, Butch is like having these you know speakers come in. It's the power of positive thinking. It's the energy buzz, and Saban's sitting there like, I'm going to murder you right now. <laughs> it just it seems to me like I I, I just it, it's I I don't know. Maybe it's like, hey, you're here to sit here and talk football and and nothing else ever. No slogans. Ever. No, bricks. But, no. And here's, no. And here's the other no thought. No Twitter. No. Bad. Bad. No. From Butch Jones' perspective, too, he's worked under some good coaches in the past, but if he worked under a guy like Nick Saban, what, how much can he benefit from this? He might, he might pick up some really useful things that he could turn around as a, in part two of his head coaching career if he gets another chance, really have a different take and approach to some things. So maybe, maybe working for Nick Saban would do just loads for his, his future and and maybe he sold it to Nick Saban as that, and and obviously and, talked about the different things he's he can bring from what ten years of head coaching experience. And we should point out that this is not like a done deal. Like, no, it's no. not official. Uh, maybe. If you're talking though, I mean, there's always so much talking you do about an analyst position. Yeah, I it's would not, say. it's not Facebook official, okay? Yeah, but they're talking. Okay, well, uh, okay. When I see a press release, that <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and and if you're Butch, maybe you know we've seen coaches do this where um, I think Brady Hoke did it after he was fired at Michigan, I think that Mark Helfrich maybe did it mm-hmm. as well. I yep. think Helfrich did a little bit more in, in terms of, uh, of analysts like TV analysts, but maybe Butch does something where he goes around and is doing some traveling sees some other programs mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, take a year hiatus, collect the check. And that's, and maybe again, and, and you know, his family situation, I think he's got what his middle son is a senior this year. Yep. So I that's right. And so, yeah, you've got that to worry about, too, is you know we, that the report came out a couple months ago that Butch Jones had been in talks with Knoxville Catholic High School about being a volunteer assistant this year. Well, you have all these people upset. Naturally. Well, I'm, I'm torpedoing that like I torpedoed uh, Greg Schiano. <laughs> but, but you're uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll see football scoop with a tweet later today saying blaming me for uh, getting Butch Jones the, the fired from the Knoxville Catholic position. But but you you've got uh, you've got all these Tennessee fans that were upset when they heard that report because they're like, well, Butch Jones has to do due diligence to try to get another job before he can do that because Tennessee's paying that's, him the difference. That's between such what, a gray area, though. It is. Like, it what is. is trying to get a new job? So so there is the conspiracy theory, I guess you could throw out there that just getting his name connected to a position like this at least could qualify as due diligence and that he's going to sit out this year and there it may never happen so you know we're not I doubt it yeah but. we're not wired the way that these former coaches i mean the way that these coaches that we cover we're not wired exactly the same way they are but and, and what i mean by that is if i'm butch jones right now i'm sitting back i am sipping margaritas i am gonna go be a dad for a year i'm gonna go just chill out. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to go like Australia. I'm going to do everything I've always yep. wanted to do. And I'm going to have my agent act like I'm trying to get jobs somewhere for a year. Let, and I, I, cause of him, cause he's such, and I think I'm, I'm speaking seriously here with who Butch Jones is. I think he needs to get away for a while. I think he needs to go to a low stress environment. I think he needs to go like going and, and working for a guy like Saban every day. I don't think the way Butch Jones is wired. Like I, th- I think we're all kind of wondering how he hadn't had a heart attack by I, this point. Go away for a year, get some new perspective <laughs> on life. Realize that you know football Best isn't the Butch only go thing away. in the world. <laughs> I'm being. I, I think he should go away for a year and get some new perspective <laughs> on life. In a related story, Butch Jones told Wes to go away. Um, no, no, he tried to. <laughs> and guess who's still here? <laughs> and guess who isn't? But. <laughs> If you stuck around for this podcast, you were being rewarded. Yes, your resiliency but, is being rewarded. But I do, I do think Butch Jones. I think there, 
I could absolutely see him doing the you know six months touring around and visiting with people kind of thing. He would love that. He is the kind of guy who wants to go around and pick up different pointers that he yes. can incorporate to his next job, whatever it is. I, I I ran into him recently, and he and he didn't make it sound like he has any interest in being an NFL coach. Uh, and I don't, and I believe that even if that was an option for him. So with that being the case, he's clearly trying to prepare himself for an offensive coordinator or head coaching job next year. He. He has all of his sights set on that. Now, maybe there's a scenario where, like some of Alabama's other former analysts, he could slide into an offensive coordinator position if things went really well there. I think that's probably a long shot, just knowing Butch Jones is how different he is from Nick Saban in a lot of ways. But maybe there's a scenario where that works out. But either way, that's not even oil and water. That's like it, that, that. That's like <laughs> he hired Lane Kiffin. I mean, all bets are off. A lot of people said that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do think though there's a scenario where he can. Even if it wasn't under Nick Saban, just just stay around some college programs this year, pick up some things, and and be ready to to be a better head coach next year. That's a scenario that I could see working out for him. But like you said, Nick Saban, uh, he's going to work you, and I don't think he's just going to sit back and watch what they're doing. If he's brought in as an analyst, they're going to find some way to put him to use. So, if I were him, I wouldn't mind taking the year to sit back and learn some things and not work for somebody, but. Knowing Butch Jones, I, I think he wouldn't mind working in some capacity. So in some ways, this might be a good happy medium between being an assistant, so full-time assistant somewhere and just sitting out. I think it just helps him as a coach and as a person if he just takes it easy for a year. Just, uh, I, I don't think you bro, would blame him after out. the pressure cooker he was in here. Yes. I mean, and, you, and, and, I mean, we, you and we all saw clearly he was not handling that part of it very well. Right. He and, needs to get away from that. And you just look at you know, I mean, look at pictures of him from 2013 and look at pictures of him from last year. I mean, the guy aged. How many years? It's like when a president comes in and president yeah, leaves same, office. It's the same thing, and just you're just like, maybe take it easy for a while. Maybe sit a few plays out, champ. Well, maybe I mean, you know, it, champ kind is what I mean. Yeah, why don't <laughs> just, just, why, why just don't, making sure. Why don't you, know, you sit out the next few plays there, champ of life? Just sit out the next couple plays. <laughs> That's not <laughs> what I said. <laughs> I was making reference to Anchorman, but Western. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm professional until you start coming after me. When you start doing that, you know, I'm not going to turn the other cheek all the time. You're going to have some follow-up questions to this one, I'm afraid, Wes. But, uh, I don't know what are you going to do. do I, 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 mean, I don't think this is anything I haven't said before, to be honest. Do we have any questions? We, we start a thread on the checkerboard, as we often do. and uh, we're, we're, If we're there's gonna... not any, we're going to scold all of you. Yeah. Uh, we, we, there's got to be something for us to discuss, hopefully, uh, to, to finish things up here. Yeah, we got a couple here from... So uh, we can stop railing on Butch Jones and, and give him a break from Wes. You know what? I, I'm made out to be this Attila the Hun right here. I didn't start this. All right? Let's just put it that way. Uh, Snowball's had a couple. Uh, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this staff from Jeremy Pruitt compared to the former staff under Butch Jones? Not ne- not necessarily talking about last year's staff, but the Butch years averaged together. What are, what, well, are, what are some things that this staff might be able to do well or concern concerns that they won't do as well as the Butch era. It's hard to know right now because they've been here for about three months. Well, and you we've st- not seen we, them you still got asked a question, Patrick. We don't know how they're going to develop players. Right. Uh, I think they've developed players in the past. Some of these sure. position coaches have been successful. Um, I think they should be stout defensively. I, I was. Gonna, I, I would think that defensively you're going to be a much better team under Pruitt than you were yeah. under. Uh, John Jancic and, and Bob Shoup. I like the experience and the voices in the defensive room. Uh, I, I think where you're better probably is just overall recruiting ability. I think this is probably the best recruiting staff they've had since at least Lane Kiffin's year when he was here. I, I think yeah, I think they've had some decent recruiting staffs, including last year's with Butch Jones, but never any that had quite this many guys that are just solid across the board in that area. And some young guys that have some upside on top of that. And then 
I, I think where there maybe is a weakness, though, if you had to pick one, would be just experience on the offensive side. You've got a lot of guys in new roles, uh, including – I mean, Terry Fair is a young cornerback's coach, too, so you do have a little bit of an experience on that side of the ball. But on offense, you've got a first-time play – full-time, at least, play caller in Tyson Helton. Yep. You've got a young tight ends coach who's never done that at this level in, in Brian Niedermeyer. And you've got a running backs coach for the first time in, in Chris Winkie. Uh, so you throw all that together – uh, there, there's a little bit of an experience on the offensive side, so that's maybe a weakness if you had to say just based on what there is on paper. That doesn't mean it's going to not be good, but there's there's at least going to be a learning curve, I think, in a couple of those spots. But then it's a good recruiting staff, and it's a staff that has a lot of ties in the southeast to go along with that recruiting stuff. Uh, that that I think that plays into on the field stuff too. I think they know they know what good looks like from enough different spots that I think that's going to help in the rebuilding process in every way, but especially recruiting. Um, that this staff has that much experience at places like Florida State, Alabama, Georgia. They, they've they been places and understand how it works at a place like Tennessee and what you have to do to win. And I think in some ways, Butch Jones' staff never quite had that because you didn't quite have enough SEC ties, I thought, from the first staff he had together. I think toward the end he fixed that a little bit, but I think you lacked a little bit of that just deep history with the Southeast and with Tennessee to know how you win at a place like Tennessee. I think one difference that, that I'm expecting is that, and it doesn't have to do quite as much with actual on field. I, I think there'll be a straightforwardness with this staff that the new staff will. Um, I think the players will will appreciate this more. Yeah, I think they will know where they stand. I think they will know what the expectations will be of them. I think they will know exactly how things are going, and I think that. You know, you don't have to be soft with players and you don't have to do good cop, bad cop. You, sometimes you just got to level with a player and say, listen, this is where things are. It's like when you see Moneyball and he's just like, hey, just just, just go straight at him and tell him, hey, man, you've been cut. You've been traded. Yeah, basically, hey, you, you're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna put you down. And that, that's, that's kind of – I think athletes respect that. I think that's what they want, even young athletes. So I think that will, that will be something that I think the new – staff will do with the players and I think the players will be happy to deal with that now some of them will be unhappy at times because you got 85 college age males and you got a lot of testosterone and egos and a lot of problems but overall I I think that players will at least appreciate uh, what they will feel like is maybe a more honest approach to things and and I'll I'll point out a I mean I think there are multiple coaches on the staff that will will provide some upgrades but I'll point to one in particular that I'm really interested in seeing how it develops over the next couple of years um and I'll be honest, I didn't know that he had this kind of uh, background from what he had done at previous stops, but I think Will Friend has a chance to really improve Tennessee's offensive line and might be their best offensive line coach probably since they had uh, Harry Heastand, if I had to, if I had uh, to Sam say Sam Pittman? Or, sorry, Sam Pittman, yeah, for sure. I, <laughs> I, I, I forget about him sometimes because he was only here for a year, but he did such a good job during that, during that time that, uh, yeah, a, a lot of people obviously respect him. But I think the, he's the best offensive line coach Tennessee's had since Sam Pittman. And when you look – Somebody posted on the checkerboard. I wish I remembered which poster. Some numbers uh, recently, where it, was, it looked at the numbers before he got there, the numbers the years during he was at that school, and then the year after, I believe it was, or two years after he left that school, the numbers peaked and then got worse. Basically, everywhere he had been, they, they got worse after he was gone, and they were worse before he got there, and then they peaked while he was there at both Georgia and Colorado State. So if that carries out uh, the same way at Tennessee, I think you, you're going to say. Will, Will Friend was a good hire as offensive line coach, so we'll see if he can duplicate that success. We got, Patrick, do you have anything else nope. to add on that topic? Move you on. Sure? Yes. Whoa. 
Fine then, I will. Nothing else to add there. Yeah, this is one that I think pro- y'all said plenty. <laughs> I think this is one that only maybe Ryan will be able to answer here. Uh, how do y'all feel about this staff's quarterback evaluations and offer so far? And that'll be a nice segue into junior day, and we can get out of here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the staff. Uh, well, first of all, as we mentioned earlier, I think the perception that they're going to go only after pocket passers that you know can't run that well maybe is 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 a bit of a misnomer because I, I think they are going to. They, they've already off, offered some dual threat guys. I, I think what Tyson Helton said, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of their approach under Mike Bajakin when he was offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. They were they loved dual threat guys back then, but they wanted guys who could throw. They didn't want to bring in just some athlete who couldn't get done what they needed to do in the passing game. So I think it's the same way with this staff. They're, I think they're going to be very open to recruiting dual threat guys, but you, you've got to have a guy who can make all the throws first and foremost. In a pro-style system, you can't bring in all these receivers and you can't have a a good pass catching tight end and then not have a guy who can get those guys the ball. So I think they view the passing stuff first and foremost. And if you happen to be a good runner on top of that, great. Um, I, I think what will be interesting is how the graduate transfer situation, if they get one plays into what they do in 2019, because they are offering, they've been pretty aggressive in offering 2019 quarterbacks lately. You wonder, is that just in hopes of making sure you get one guy you like, or are they targeting a lot in hopes of getting two quarterbacks in that class um, they might even be anticipating that someone could transfer at some point and thinking they might need to sign two in 2019. So the thought there probably would be that you're going to get an elite guy maybe or something close to that, but then you n- might need to take a second guy who's a little more of a developmental quarterback. So that might be why you've seen some of these offers lately, including to some dual threat guys. They might take one who's a little more dual threat and one who's a little bit less of that. So I think it's going to be interesting how they approach that position. They clearly like some guys like Sam Howell of North Carolina and Talia Tungavailoa, the younger brother of Tua, as you called him, Patrick, um, <laughs> that uh, that is at Alabama right now. Obviously, going to be a tough pull there, but they're in. Some, those are both top 100 players. Tennessee's in the running for them, so they're they're going to be battling for some good quarterbacks. And I, I think they they at least know what they want. But it's I think it's going to be a little surprising to some fans. Uh, maybe the types of guys they've been after because there are some runners among them. And Wes, you wanted to uh, to get into Junior Day from there. Yeah, Tennessee's got. Uh, obviously it's a, they just had one yeah just had one and it seems like every weekend is almost a junior day right now it's like just call it just why, why even call it a thing it's just you know there's kids there there's always kids there but uh ryan there are kids coming in town who, who is who is coming who is possibly coming what's the uh what's the the 411 on tennessee's most recent junior day coming up this weekend yeah so well so first of all uh, just glancing back at last weekend it looked like it was going to be a fairly low-key weekend and ended up being pretty big as it turned out they had more than a dozen targets hit from the 2019 class in they had talia tungavailoa that i mentioned top 100 quarterback um andrew booth uh, a cornerback who's a top 100 player from georgia Jackson Lowe, who, who's probably their top tight end on the, on the board right now from uh, from Cartersville, Georgia, former teammate of uh, five-star Clemson quarterback signee and now freshman quarterback at Clemson, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, so that's going to be a real battle to watch over the next several months. A couple four-star defensive backs from Louisiana, Devin Bush and Ishmael Burdine, uh, four-star safety Jalen Phillips of Georgia, and then uh, his teammate, or I'm sorry, uh, part of a group, I should say, with Andrew Booth uh, that came in was Colby Wooden, a three-star defensive end. Uh, another three-star defensive end from Georgia, Ahmad Craig, and then Tymon Mitchell, an in-state defensive tackle. So you had a bunch of good guys that are important. And on top of that, you snuck in a class of 2018 guy on a visit, Bryce Thompson, a South Carolina commitment who hasn't signed yet. The Tennessee's still recruiting, has some work to do in the, in the classroom, but at least a name to maybe keep in mind as they look around to, to see what they can get before this summer uh, so, to, to kind of finish out that 2018 class and finalize the roster here uh, before next season. So, 
pretty good weekend last week. And, and on top of that, this weekend might be an even stronger visitor list. Uh, they've got some big name guys coming in starting actually on Friday. This, this will be uh, posted on Friday, I guess. Um, and, and so a lot might of actually be posted uh, Thursday afternoon because okay. I think we'll, uh, Ramey and I will be recording a basketball podcast uh, Thursday yeah. night. That'll come out Friday morning. So, probably. Uh, so on Friday, you, you, you start the visitors, you got a top 100 offensive lineman, Wanya Morris from, uh, from uh, Grayson high school down in Loganville, Georgia, the powerhouse program. He's already been in town this year. So this would be his second visit to Tennessee since January. Uh, and then a big group of in-state guys to, uh, to watch, uh, big for Tennessee to get those guys on campus. They've got a long way to go with some of them, but to, to get the get a foot back in the door with guys like Lance Wilhoit, the four-star receiver from Nashville, Trey Knox, the four-star receiver from Murfreesboro, uh, Woody Washington back in town actually for the second time in about a month, uh, the four-star corner from Murfreesboro, Adonis Ote, the former Tennessee commitment, another four-star corner from, uh, from Blackman High School in Murfreesboro, uh, and then so, some guys that aren't even part of that group that are coming in, Chico Bennett, a three-star outside linebacker from BGA we need uh, some more Chico in over in Franklin. Now. That's a, that's a good name. That's a, I didn't think about that, but <laughs> so you got yeah. guys like that coming in uh, and then some bigger name guys. Well, there may be, it couple, doesn't get bigger name than Chico. <laughs> there may be a couple more to add to this list, but uh, Pierce quick, a five-star offensive lineman from Alabama, who's committed to Alabama. So that's obviously a, a tough, tough pull for Tennessee, but good to get him on campus if he follows through and, and makes that trip. Uh, and then, Tyrion Davis, uh, a four-star running back from Baton Rouge who's committed to LSU. So you've got a couple guys committed to SEC schools that are probably long shots, but the fact that you're getting them on campus, uh, a good sign. Overall, it looks like it's going to be a big list of uh, Tennessee targets. I would I would guess there's a real chance there's going to be 15, 20, maybe more than that, uh, guys with Tennessee offers on campus this weekend. So it should be a big junior day and obviously complete coverage coming up on Go Vols 24-7, including something resembling a final visit list on Friday. Yeah, do, do can any of their names be um, changed to Chico, any of the guys that are coming in? Uh, Which one would be most Chico-like? Uh, I guess you'd have to go with Chico Bennett as the most no, Chico-like. No, 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 the, the next most Chico. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's another uh, There's another good one, Kalani Morris from Miami. That That's that's one, you know, you could, th- you could force that into Chico. Yeah, um, that could work. Yeah, I don't know. There's My name's Kalani, but people call me Chico. Yeah, there, there's not there's not a lot of great options there, but there, there's some there's some interesting names there. It's an interesting time. Interesting time. It's like every weekend is junior day, kind of uh, this time of you year. You got to get guys on campus every time you can, and this is. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. So, oh yeah. no, no, no. You need to do it. Yeah, there's yeah. No so question. I'm just saying. So you struggle with which weekends to call junior days and which weekends not to. But the reality is, you're taking kids whenever they can get there. So these are the two big junior days before spring practice. But you'll see visitors in throughout the spring. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We will be back. Uh, or Ramey and I will be back on Friday morning with a hoops podcast. Talk about the the Vols who are playing for an SEC championship uh, this weekend in a sold-out Thompson Bowling Arena. So lots to talk about there, not just not just life championships, maybe championships. Of basketball. Of basketball life. Patrick, any final thoughts? No. 